0: I'm Vivian, this is Happy To Be Here, and this is episode 12. (laughs) I work on a lot of different projects, but I have to say that this podcast has my favorite space right now. I'm thankful if you've been listening since I launched in May, and hope that you've been able to learn a bit more about yourself and the subject matters that these combos are focused on. As a bit of a reset, this week I'm talking to an actual therapist to unpack a lot of what the last two months have included, from Roe v. Wade being overturned to more mass shootings to still living life in pandemic times. My goal from the get is to offer you tools to navigate your mental health in the context of your real life, and each guest's story and expertise helps me do that. Moving forward, I've actually invited Dr. Oreck to be our resident therapist, if you will. And check in every couple of episodes with more tools and advice that can help you navigate your day-to-day life. Here's Dr. Oric, Dr. Sarah Oric. I am so excited to have you on and thankful for you sharing this space and answering some of these top questions of kind of how we're processing the last few months. I would love it if you would introduce yourself.
1: I'm Dr. Sarah Oreck, you can certainly call me Sarah, and I am a reproductive psychiatrist, which means that I take care of people's mental health, um, primarily with female hormones, so from the time of the first period all the way to menopause. Uh, and my, a big chunk of my practice happens to be pregnancy, Uh, and the postpartum as well as infertility and loss, but I'm a general psychiatrist as well and I treat all sorts of different people struggling through many different things and this has been a really challenging time. So, there's a lot to deal with. Uh, I have a private practice in Los Angeles, but I also love education and teaching and have an active social media career as well as work for some local hospitals and also trying to get into the tech health space. Um, I'm an advisor for some companies uh, and just really loving sort of how to improve mental health through a lot of different modalities. And I only get to see a very few amount of people in my private practice. So I love these opportunities um, like what you're doing to kind of be able to provide people with tools that they can really use in their everyday life.
0: It's honestly what the podcast has been up until now and what I hope it continues to be as I grow it because I do think that especially during times like right now where I mean pick and choose which one we want to talk about first but there are so many issues happening in the world that can feel so overwhelming that people are looking for things to help them yes. cope with both what's happening at a global scale and then what's happening within their own lives, which I think can sometimes feel at other times felt maybe like the bigger things happening in the world. But now it's like these competing forces between the world is falling apart, but my world may be really hard to manage. And what do those bridge moments actually do? Are there anything, is there anything right away that comes to mind as to like, what's the one thing someone can do if they're feeling that constant tug?
1: Well, I, I love what you're bringing up and I actually think um sort of stepping back a little bit just talking about the podcast and how important this is is that we also have to contend with the fact that individual mental health care in this country is inaccessible to most people and so any effort to sort of bring these tools that one can do at home and and, and in some ways Um, become your own therapist or help yourself in any way i think is really important Um, so in terms of this tension between the internal struggle and what's happening externally know that you're not alone we are all contending with this and i think sometimes it's okay to focus on what's happening internally if there's more of a crisis there i try to encourage people to not ignore things that are happening outside of themselves but sometimes it's okay to sort of say i need to take care of myself before i can take care of whatever, you know, all the stuff that's sort of burning down around us. It's a it's a tough spot to be in because it's a lot especially in the last several weeks, especially if you yourself are having some kind of mental health crisis. And, you know, I do think that since the pandemic, there has been such an increase in mental health issues from mood and anxiety issues for so many um, that it's really important to sort of note that we're all kind of struggling.
0: And even that will give someone the sense of permission to say, wow, like I can put on the priority list of things to address or think of, I can put myself first, which can be really hard, particularly a lot of my audiences are women or people who identify as women. And that can be a really hard thing to do when, again, especially now I think when so many of the global issues affect women as a collective yes but there are still things that as individuals we are navigating
1: oh and I think women in particular struggle with being caretakers and not taking care of themselves
0: what are some tips for someone who maybe is trying to step outside of that caretaker role for others and step into that caretaker role for themselves
1: and this is where it's hard because I also think we put a great burden on especially women and especially moms because that's a space that I work with in a lot for self care, right? And it becomes like, because society isn't taking care of us, there's no real parental leave in this country that's federally protected, um, right? Like, okay, suddenly you have to go to a spa to sort of help yourself feel better. But that's not what we're <laughs> really talking about. And and I do mm-hmm. think self-care doesn't is not self-indulgent. And it's really about saying, you know what, I need a break from these outside stressors. Maybe I'm not gonna think about the overturning of Roe v. Wade today because I am sort of going through my own thing with my own family and I'm gonna focus on that and so whether it's taking a beat from a stressful situation turning off social media or the news it's okay to do that Mm -hmm.
0: I love that tip because I think so often we're doom scrolling right and we're trying to figure out how much more news can I consume this morning even I was sitting on the couch eating my breakfast and then watching CNN and for about like five ten minutes it was it wasn't necessarily eliciting a anxious reaction for me it was just informative but then about maybe 30 minutes of just having it on the background I realized wait I am actively feeling more anxious the more I watch about Chicago shooting Yeah, yeah and it took me realizing wait okay I'm gonna go to the bathroom and like get up and go and I was like no I have to turn the tv off like I can't sit and watch this on the background even for more time than what I'm already doing but that is a really hard thing to be aware of particularly in an era where like There was another mass shooting yesterday, right? Like 4th of July. We're recording this on July 5th, and it just feels like every single time you start to catch your breath again, even the slightest, it kind of gets taken away from you again. I
1: know it, and I think that there is this desire, I think, to empathize, to not turn away or ignore it, and I think that's why sometimes we think, oh, let me consume all of this media. But, you know... Again, and I I really do, when when you're in a good place, I think it's really important to kind of acknowledge those strong feelings that are coming up to sort of work through them and not ignore them or dissociate from them or distract from them by, you know, all the things we do, shopping, watching, you know, mindless television, whatever it is. But I do think that there are limits that we have. And there is only so much empathy and, and sort of experiencing that, terrible loss that occurred yesterday, and I don't know if it it sort of really is going to be beneficial to have CNN on, sort of Mm -hmm. on, on the loop, because a lot of these things are on the loop. So is Instagram, so is all this stuff. And again, sort of figuring out ways that we can mobilize and, and I think take action is what we're yearning as citizens, right? Mm-hmm. But but passively watching something isn't going to get us anything, but probably more anxiety.
0: Man, that I want to unpack that a little bit because I do think that at the core of why we sit, why we watch, why we doom scroll, why we look on Instagram, and this I think can apply to anything, not even just in a time of crisis, is that we're looking for either a sense of belonging, a sense of Action. Yes. How do I do something to make something feel better, or how do I do something that makes me feel better? Yes. And f- trying to find healthy ways to cope with that can feel really overwhelming when you're in the thick of whatever that feeling may be. Are there tips for how someone can kind of climb their way out of that loop mentality?
1: Yeah, I. I you know, this is a the, this is a tough one because I think I'm. I'm in, in some ways very much in the same loop. Um, but, yeah. but I think what, what I've noticed is acknowledging what's occurred. Right, If you are someone who's actively on social media, then go to those accounts that are impacting change. Make your donation or sign up for a newsletter. Go to a rally, whatever it is that you're going to do, take that actionable step. Also, what, what you think you mentioned something that is really important is community—a mm-hmm. sense that other people are outraged, heartbroken, right, feeling the same kind of like you know. I think in some ways we all don't want to be complacent and, and sort of um, live in this community where we can't go to public spaces anymore without thinking that there might be a shooting. Um, but once you take some sort of tangible action or feel like, you know what, other people are experiencing this, then then sort of move away, step away, get, get back into your daily life.
0: It really is almost a reparenting kind of mentality yes. of I have to give myself a cutoff point. <laughs> okay, I do the one thing and now I have to have a TV break or I have to have like a digital break because anything more than that is just almost like a version of self-harm. Yes, I was going to so say, collective.
1: right, it felt, mm-hmm. it feels very masochistic. It feels very like, right, just stuck in the hamster wheel and not really going anywhere.
0: hmm and we don't want to be in that, and I think it is really hard, right, because you mentioned this before, too, and it was something that I really wanted to touch on, this idea between wanting to be empathetic because we don't want to be apathetic. Yes. We don't want to embrace apathy into, like, this oh, this is another shooting, or this is another thing that so is so well
1: said. Exactly,
0: but it can feel—it's almost like we overcompensate. I think on the empathy side of things, and then disregard the ways that we still need to be caring for ourselves and the world around us in, in different ways.
1: Exactly, and I and I do think again: less time on those platforms, more time in our real life, more time with our mm-hmm. loved ones is the way to combat a lot of this, right? Like these are fears that our life is going to be upended and that there's going to be tragedy, death, and loss. And the way to sort of come to terms with that, which is always a reality, right? This is a different reality. I want to be clear. And it's a reality that is a public health crisis and is a reality that can be changed. I think is what's challenging, but in the same way, there are other sort of realities about life and death that are so innate to being a human being that we have to contend with, and the way to sort of deal with that and hold that in one hand, and then hold you know life and joy in the other, and that the two are possible at the same time.
0: The title of the podcast is "Happy to Be Here" for that exact reason, because I. I knew it was going to be a mental health podcast, but I also knew that people don't struggle or talk openly about their mental health if they don't want to feel happy to be here at some point and having to figure out where the balance is for them, right? it? like I do live with XYZ thing or XYZ struggle, but at the same time I see joy and I see yes. happiness. And that in and of itself can be a really big act of autonomy and rebellion during a time when you're being told that you have, for women no rights yes. over your body in certain states yeah I'd love to deep dive a little bit more you mentioned this earlier on Roe v. Wade and what are some of the things that even your clients may be mm-hmm. bringing up in conversation that and then what do you what do you tell people oh, I feel man. like that's a loaded question in this <laughs> season of life but yeah,
1: yeah I you know I think something that comes up for me quite a bit is that i do see a lot of patients who have had trauma experiences particularly a lot of women with trauma it's now so commonplace for you know i think the statistics that i last saw was one in four women have survived um, some kind of sexual assault and these numbers are right incredibly impactful and i think for people who have been dealing with trauma and trying to regain autonomy over their bodies for years to then have this ruling come out, even though I work in California and New York, that's where I see patients, where these rights aren't necessarily under threat right now, but there's still a compassion and empathy for like the sense of community and that our neighbors and people that we identify right as citizens of the same country are going to experience right pretty catastrophic outcomes. And I, I really do think what's hitting... At the heart of it is is a lack of autonomy. The feeling that people that have already experienced right not feeling like they are in control of their own body or their own sort of future are sort of now um, in this really right in this ruling that does affect all of us, even if it, even if your state laws aren't right, it can it initially impacted. I, it's truly devastating. It's re-traumatizing is what I found.
0: And it impacts so many women of color. Yes. Like you mentioned, like so many people who for one area or another are either thinking back on their past or thinking back on their future. Yes. on am like, what happens if yeah, exactly. this were to happen? And do I have the means? Do I have the ability? And it, it is, it is very, um, sh- very shocking to have to send a text message to a friend and be like hey if you end up ever needing a safe state to do this you know i'm in a safe state (laughs) that that doesn't feel aligned with like where we should be in 2022 and i think that has also um, on a personal level really been one of the ways that it's weighed on me because it is it feels so out of line right it feels so like this i'm almost 30 and this shouldn't be what i'm texting my friends I right know, um I know. and i think that c- conflict is something that i have seen arise in my community of just like people wanting to help the people around them but then also at the same time being like you said re-traumatized about their own life and their it's, own bodies and what does that mean to themselves
1: right and and i i think you know there's also this sense of um I think a lack of pride, um, some shame around living here um, because like we already have maternal mortality rates that are abysmal compared to other developed countries. We have such a disproportionate amount of maternal deaths in the black uh, community. And we know that this is going to translate to maternal mental health outcomes, certainly. And so that's something that I'm extremely worried about, already knowing that Black and Latino women are not getting enough treatment in terms of maternal mental health either, um, not being able to access care, especially in these states that are making it more difficult right for for women to to have autonomy over their own bodies and their lives.
0: I've also seen an increase in the conversation around the men in these people's lives and whether or not they're openly speaking up or whether or not someone feels a specific way about whether or not that person is speaking up or and I think, you know, when we're talking about communities of color, I grew up in a Latino family that a, never openly talked about anything. But definitely did not openly talk about mental health. Definitely did not openly talk about abortion. I and, did too.
1: Mine has come around yeah. over the years to talking more, I think, but certainly was not something that we talked about yeah. when I was younger.
0: And I think even now, it's still a very... I grew up also like in a very patriarchal family, right? Where the men were, in the eyes of the family, the people who made the decisions for things. And so... I know that a lot of the older generation in my family will not be speaking out openly in favor of. And that also feels like such a slight to where we are. But then I see some of my cousins who are both my age or younger, much younger, who are openly pro-choice and openly all these things. And I'm like, wow, it took me so long to realize that I was in a bubble where my elders at the time were dictating or my religion right going to Catholic school my whole life were dictating what I should be thinking to me having my own thoughts about these things to see some of my cousins who were like in in those environments that I was into and still having their own opinions I'm like wow we have come a long way in some ways and not a long way in others um but this is a very long way to say that for those people who are navigating a sense of dissonance with like I love these men in my life but they maybe don't love me in the same ways or enough to understand why this is important to me what are some things that you've maybe been telling some of your patients on how do you cope with that level of static
1: this has been challenging and you know I still don't know I think open communication Mm -hmm. starts to help this wound um but I've I've also seen quite a bit of silence um, mm-hmm. in my own life and in just sort of what I'm seeing out there and it's disappointing mm-hmm. I have to say um, but I also think communicating how we're feeling is going to be the first and most important step and sort of the rest is where it is but but maybe it's important for us to sort of be the headliners here as women Mm -hmm. and maybe that's okay to sort of really take the narrative and 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 it's okay if sort of the the patriarchy doesn't help (laughs) yeah and I think that that's
0: something where uh, my struggle has been there too it's the disappointment and it's the awareness that this just doesn't feel like a big of an issue for a lot of the men in my life as it does for me and it's really interesting. When it to is,
1: like it really, it right. really is, but, it, it, but it's done 100%. to our bodies. Um, but... Yeah, I, 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 yeah, and that's a very similar issue around, right? Generally around childbirth, even before all of this, and sort of there is sometimes a dissonance in heterosexual couples about how much it takes, or even to be honest, in in some homosexual couples of what it takes to bir- to be a birthing parent versus a non birthing parent.
0: That's interesting because I, I, I don't, I'm not a parent yet, so I hadn't experienced that through the lens of that. But you're right. I'm pretty sure this is probably something that is very old and has historic nature on where the quote unquote traditional roles fall, whether you're a birthing human or not a birthing human. But
1: but it sort of makes me think, so then so then the legislatures, right, are the people that are are that are making these laws also don't have most of them are, don't have a uterus. So, you know, I think that's a, that's a precarious situation where I think, you know, maybe, maybe part of this, and again, this is more about what we, what hopefully we can do is maybe more women in positions of power, people with a uterus in position of power will help us regain some of this autonomy.
0: I think that is a really big part of it. And it's something that even in the future episodes of the podcast going into the fall really focusing in on the midterm elections as something tangible that can impact the future of this i think that bringing roe versus Wade versus Wade to a world again in some version of a codified law will take years to happen it won't be an instant reversal um but i do think it has to start this fall right like it starts with the next midterm elections it starts with the people that we elect into power and that we think about things like we're talking about right now which is what are the what are what are the platforms on mental health on maternal health on parental health yes on where we sit with so many of the issues that because it's abortion in headlining news but it's so much it's more so much more
1: that. it's so much more and i think what we're seeing a lot or what I'm seeing a lot in social media is is some physicians trying to, to sort of unpack that there is a lot of nuance here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What we call a miscarriage, right, in lay terms is also called a termination and abortion in medical terms, that there mm. are many things in between here that we're not even sort of thinking about this is and this is where I really struggle with right how come the people that are making the laws and making the decisions aren't so well informed about the medical issues um, Mm -hmm. but also about sort of the experience and the life experienced issues sometimes I feel like I'm at a loss of words for everything that's
0: occurring I like to ask us on the podcast how they're coping and (laughs) what their (laughs) mental wellness routines look like and I think particularly you in a space where you're holding so much space for everyone else what does that look like in your day-to-day life or your day-to-day practices or week-to-week practices i have
1: to tell you that the last three weeks have been really difficult for me um i really have been struggling with a lot of these decisions and and their impact on my personal life and wanting to enjoy some aspect of being off let's say yesterday with my family and my children And feeling so weighed down by the news last week and sort of the Supreme Court's tirade or whatever has been going on, this sort of like it just one day after another. And then the shooting yesterday and then knowing that actually this was one that made the headlines, but there's actually so many that haven't. So I think it's trying to really get present in my life and so the way that i do that is through breath work and breathing is one of my most important i think self-care self-love rituals that i have and so that is something that is essential to me as well as communicating with my family about what i'm experiencing and really trying to Instead of intellectualizing or or getting too much in the weeds on that, is trying to be like, this is how I'm feeling or what's coming up for me as, as I'm experiencing this. Because I think we all have a tendency to, you know, read the articles, watch the news, look at the social media, and again, intellectualize instead of actually get down on what you feel. Um, and then, you know, therapy for me is a is a is such an important part of my um, weekly life and and something that I think is essential for anyone that's a therapist. But I think, again, if it's accessible to you, something that is so important for for when you're navigating difficult
0: moments kind of holding that space for yourself and not intellectualizing every feeling that is something that even I go to therapy once a week is one of the hardest things for me because I go to the very intellectual reasoning kind of space of course, for it. Yeah. What do you do not to do that? Because I think that that's something that a lot of people right now are navigating and doing simply because it feels like a way to survive. Well, it feel-
1: and it feels sur- like you're surviving. But I think what we talked about before, it feels productive. I think in some way, like, oh, I'm, I'm thinking about how we can fix this or do this, it, right? It's it's very, it's almost a problem-solving approach, which I think sometimes can feel pretty invalidating, right? If you're having a conversation about how so how distressed someone is, and then you sort of start intellectualizing, you're telling them, well, actually, in your state, it's not a problem, and this and this and that. Is that so helpful? Probably not. Um, so I think what it is, is sort of acknowledging the, the ways that we could overcome this or what could happen. So the intellectual, like addressing it, acknowledging, not ignoring it. Here's how I'm intellectualizing. And then really trying to dig down on like, what is a feeling that I'm experiencing? And a lot of us don't even have the vocabulary to kind of acknowledge what it is that's going on in your internal state. So sometimes I like to start with like, what's it feel like in my body? And I think that's a nice way to interrupt this sort of intellectualization of like, what's the White House doing? Or what, what, what's a congressman doing? And then sort of say, okay, what is this feeling like in my body? Let me check in. And it can be as rudimentary as like, I feel a, like a band around my chest. And just starting with that and then sort of maybe learning what that feeling is or name or labeling that feeling with like, maybe that's anxiety for me. Um, But again, I really like to get into the body. And that's why breath for me is such a, I want to say a lifesaver. It it really is such an amazing coping mechanism.
0: I have a friend who runs a platform called Wordful and essentially all she does is she unpacks a single word at a time in a video and I have found and she has found that I had her on the podcast to be such a healing practice because it makes you sit with like what does this word actually mean and where, where does it come from and what does it play a role in my life how does that look and I think that's something that if we if we truly try to practice and strengthen that muscle to take the time to do that for ourselves it's how we would maybe be able to unpack a little bit more of those feelings.
1: Well, e- right, even that seems like such an intellectual technique and yet, right, I can see how when you're focusing on one word, it almost becomes a meditation, right? Cause like kind of loses a lot of that intellectual pull and then sort of, it gets you more into an internal state. I think that's an awesome strategy that I hadn't heard of before.
0: Yeah, and I I think it does what you said, right? It brings you back into your body. What does this word make me feel? It's no longer what does it mean in the dictionary. It's what does it mean in my body and what does it look like and what does it sound like? And I think that as we're navigating such big, big moments in our lives and in the world, bringing it back down to that cellular feeling level can be as productive as donating or scrolling if that is the thing that's going to benefit you the most in that one month like moment
1: and and truly right that it it feels in some ways more empowering than a lot of those other things on an individual basis
0: and that looking at that individual basis isn't selfish right it is a form of self-care it is a form of rebelling against the things that are happening in the world and holding that space for yourself isn't something to feel guilty about. And it seems like breath work really does that for you. Are there any books or podcasts or websites that you turn to when you were first starting off that you can direct yeah, anyone to? Yeah,
1: I actually have it right here. This is my favorite. So what I like to do is called coherent breathing, but this is the healing power of the breath. Um, these are wonderful um, instructors that are just so great at what they do Um, but I'm also a firm believer in some sort of um, and you know what meditation is also incredibly powerful but I actually find that it's harder to, to start a practice so I think I always suggest guided meditations for people who are interested in that but I really do think that the way that we are able to help our nervous system which right now feels like it's so out of whack a lot of us feel like they're on fight or flight mode sort of right that sympathetic nervous system is always on our alarm systems are kind of going off and going back to a parasympathetic the rest and digest is really breath work and so i know you also asked for another recommendation and i think we all are You know, I think since the pandemic and maybe even before, right, there's this collective trauma that we're experiencing, especially in the United States, but across the world. Um, And I think this is a, a tough read. Sometimes the body keeps the score, but it can be so good. You know, it's not the quickest read. There's a lot of scientific data, but it really informs a lot of what I do, um, and I think it's a really great scientific approach. But with some really nice tools like breath, that can be so helpful and and, and really impactful. And I also like, um, you know, some Eastern type of philosophy. So anything, Not han, is just incredible. And this is something that helps me in these difficult times and holding right tragedy and
0: joy which I think is key to literally everything we're trying to do right now while we start to wrap up the conversation I'd love for you to define for someone who maybe had never heard of before the difference in those nervous system reactions yes because I think it is such a key to why we might be feeling and scrolling the way we are and what we need to move towards?
1: Oh, absolutely. So the nervous system as we understand it really falls into two categories. We have something that's called the sympathetic nervous system, which is what we know as fight- flight or actually another reaction is freeze and this is something in ancient times that was activated because there would be a lion coming towards us and then we'd have to figure out okay are we gonna hide or are we gonna flee and it's really based on right the sort of the, the part of your brain that controls it is called the amygdala it's a really old part of our brain and it's what i call the alarm system of the brain and so For people who've experienced trauma, this is sort of always on. That sort of explains the hypervigilance, the fast heart rate, the sort of constantly feeling nervous or jittery. And in some ways, it feels like a lot of us are now more in this state, which Listen. If you're about to get into a car accident, it's incredibly helpful because it allows you to sort of automatically veer without you even sort of thinking about what you just did. Um, that's really what the parasympathetic nervous system does. It sort of powers up the, the your body to kind of move to survive. Um, so there's a lot of adrenaline and different hormones that are released. Um, and I think what we have found is people that are experiencing trauma. Now it feels like more and more of us are do- are sort of experiencing this, even if it's not. Not direct trauma um, just even witnessing trauma even seeing a shooting right so all of us are going to be staying more in this parasympathetic nerve in the sympathetic nervous system which is not what we were intended to do we're intended to only be in that nervous system when the alarms go off when there's an emergency And instead, we should be more in this parasympathetic, which is just resting and digesting, sort of going along our business. And so what I find is a lot of people's nervous systems are really out of whack and more towards this fight or flight. And so how to redirect it. And one way is through breath. Um, another can be meditation. Uh, but I really find that breath is, is one of the most powerful tools in directly influencing sort of this state and, and relaxing Mm. the body.
0: I am obsessed and I would, I think there is a whole episode on oh, just no. breaking that. Up. I, I think
1: so, too. I think so, too. And yeah. he, he, there's so many ways and, and that breath can influence us. I just want to give you some examples. Like mm-hmm. even even moving our bodies, sort of shaking, dancing, all of that can be extremely helpful. And there's actually ways of breathing that can make you feel more focused or sort of more alert. Um, mm-hmm so it's not just to help sort of calm down the nervous system there are so many uses for breath so we can certainly talk talk more about that um and i'd love to to sort of you know do some examples of the breathing and and Mm -hmm. and things that can be really helpful but but this is a tool that that's available to a lot of people right like just youtube coherent breathing and you can find some tools on how to do that
0: I'm going to make sure to add in everything you just suggested into the show notes so that everyone could kind of link to it. And, but doctor, I honestly, I'm just so thankful for you holding this space for us and answering some of the questions that I know a lot of the listeners are sitting with, particularly during this time.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think, it's, it's, a, it's hard times, but you're not alone. We're together. And what is a better way to foster community? I don't know if it's through social media. I think it's through real life interactions and taking care of ourselves so we can be there for one another.
0: I'm excited that we'll get to welcome Dr. Work back, most likely in September, to talk through more of how to readjust our nervous system ahead of the fall season. I'm taking a bit of a break from new episodes through the middle of August, but we'll be back with an episode with Serena Kerrigan, your favorite social media follow on August 25th. While I'm off air, follow Happy To Be Here podcast on IG and remember to give Happy To Be Here some love by rating, reviewing, and especially sharing your favorite episodes with your favorite friends. Have a peaceful rest of the summer.